0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live.
1: Evening, everyone. I hope we are all okay Uh, this evening. You are back on The Twilight Show with me, Ben Thomas. Uh, I've got a very special guest on tonight. Well, they're all special guests, really, but um, I've got a gentleman who is new to the the TTR world we will be discussing all things pastoral in just a moment with Paul Hazard. I um, normally do this show every two weeks, but I've got quite a few guests coming up, so I am actually in the kind of a groove of, of doing it once a week at the moment. Um, anyway, hope you are all good. I think most people have um, have gone back to, I say, gone back to work, but actually gone back to school physically this week. Uh, you know, it's what is it second day into the the summer term. Um, That I was, I was, I was, I won't bore you with what I was doing today, but I was working on a spreadsheet this afternoon. I was literally falling asleep. So, um, if, if like me, uh, already you are, you're all set for the weekend, um, keep going. We're nearly there. We're nearly there. Um, I've got uh, Paul Hazard on the show tonight. We're going to be talking all things uh, pastoral, obviously, a a huge part of of the modern day uh, education sphere. Um, Paul's actually got a show. He's got his debut show coming up on Thursday between nine and 10 PM. So we'll kind of talk about that a little bit later on in the show. Um, but I can see he's connecting or connected. So Paul, are you there, sir?
2: Yes. You should be able to hear me. Can you?
1: Fantastic. And we can hear, we can hear your Northern Irish accent coming through loud and clear. <laughs> How are
2: you today? Great. I'm great. Absolutely. Fantastic. It's a smashing day here in Northern Ireland it's one of those sunshine spring days it really just lifts the soul so i'm fantastic
1: good good well it's lovely to have you on this show um obviously you've got your you've got your debut show coming up uh, later on this week but you know when we were kind of uh what you know what the show could be about i was i was very keen and i kind of had it in in the diary if you like to talk about um you know the, the pastoral element of of teaching whether that's secondary or yeah. primary or any education sphere really and, and paul very graciously sent me his quite extensive cv i have to say <laughs> i felt like i was almost interviewing for the job but i kind of had something in mind and and he fit the bill perfectly you know i kind of let him talk about his his 38 years of, of educational experience in a minute but you know very very pleased to have paul on the show so Before we start to get into the kind of the nitty gritty of it, um, do you want to just kind of talk to the audience a little bit about uh, your experience, Paul, and kind of where you've been and and what your journey's been up and up until this point, really?
2: Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Well, as you say, 38 years teaching, I qualified in 1985 and uh, I was qualified to teach English, French, and as we all were in those days, ICT. But instead of getting a job here, I went to France, and I taught in northern France, near the Belgian border for two years. In those days, uh, EU regulations wouldn't let you stay on, even though I wanted to stay there. So after two years, I came back and I got uh, jobs teaching here in Northern Ireland. I've uh, I've always taught post-primary, 11 to 18. Started off in uh, a girls' grammar school, moved around, and then in 1990 I got a job in uh, a medium-sized post-primary, around about five to six hundred pupils, and more or less with a few exceptions, I've been there ever since. Um, I've done a range of things in that school. In fact, I think the only subject I haven't taught is maths, believe it or not, because you know when you get a job here in Northern Ireland. Basically, you have to teach what's on your timetable and whoever's in front of you. So uh, I've taught music, uh, geography, science, history, all sorts of things. But uh, that's it. I had a couple of periods out. Uh, I was an education advisor, uh, largely responsible for um, you know guiding uh, senior management on all aspects pastoral, and in particular. Um, were the inspectorate, Ofsted, if you like, but we we call them an ETI, uh, Education Training Inspectorate here in Northern Ireland. Where there were issues in a school, I would go in and try and support them through any difficulties and get them back uh, on the straight and narrow and so on. So I really enjoyed my time as an education advisor. I've also been a lecturer and uh, although I'm retired now, I still do a little bit of lecturing in education. Uh, you know I really really enjoy that Um, teaching a couple of master's courses that uh, are very exciting we do some great stuff so really that's me in a nutshell that's my
1: 38 years I mean, that's that's quite a big nutshell, isn't it, Paul, really? It's, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things covered there, really. Um, it's interesting you said you'd never taught maths because that would not go down very well in the current political climate with um, oh, no, you know, Mr wasn't. Sunak's idea of, of everyone teaching maths or getting more maths teachers in. But, yeah, you know, yeah. you, you you talked... I mean, there's, there's quite a lot to unpick there, really. I, I, I guess one of the things that, that you said, and obviously looking through what, you, what you'd sent to me as well, was the idea that you... Um, you know, you, you taught on the, on the French-Belgian um, border. What kind of, what was that yeah. like going from sort of Northern Ireland to, you know, a, a, a very different, well, quite literally a foreign country, to, to the <laughs> the pun, but like, yeah. you know, what, what, was, what was that like?
2: Oh, it was fantastic. Absolutely great. You know, you go to school, you do your A-levels, you go to university, hopefully you have a great time and so on. And the next thing is, you know, you catapult yourself into uh, Europe, into France. You're speaking foreign languages. I was in a small village called saint amand les eaux tiny, tiny little place near Lille, uh, not far from Brussels. So, you know, maybe life's more about your your kind of social life and going out. And one of the things we used to do at night is say, well, where will we go tonight? And our options were, you know, Belgium, Holland, Germany, Switzerland. (laughs) That's just geographically where we were, and that was really easy uh, to do that kind of thing. But I loved it. Uh, I really immersed myself in that uh, local community. I played rugby for the local team, um, just did what I can, made as many friends and contacts as I could. Uh, It was eye-opening. It's a very different system of education. Uh, Although I was young, I didn't have much experience of our own system here then, but it was just fantastic and a great start, I
1: think, and uh, mm.
2: to a teaching career
1: and what what made you come back was it you know different job back in northern ireland was it just you'd had enough by then or or you you know you didn't get that professional rugby contract going what what was it that, that <laughs> you back to northern ireland really
2: <laughs> yeah they must have tricked not taking me there as a professional <laughs> rugby player didn't they really <laughs> um no the diff- i i would love to have stayed the difficulty was eu regulations didn't allow you to stay in those days I um, can't remember what we called it, but was it open borders or whatever we called it, you know, whereby everybody uh, at one stage was allowed to take up uh, jobs in different countries and so on. But that was just before that. So my contract was up. And uh, in fact, it had been extended. It was only for one year. I had to write, get permission for an extension, which I got. And then that was it. The contract was up and I had to come home.
1: Okay. And yeah. was it difficult to kind of readjust to to being home or was it one of those things where actually it was quite straightforward and um you know you just kind of slotted back into to life back in northern ireland or or was it was it quite a difficult transitional period for you at that time
2: well i couldn't say it was difficult i was resigned to coming home there's no doubt of that um so i just kind of stoically accepted that um it's it's a very very different life in mainland europe and there was a whole sense of freedom and uh you know mixing with everybody there's all that inspiration with different languages and foods and everything and i suppose yes it's a little bit of a come down to to return to little old northern ireland here Um, i suppose we were we you know we were uh, kind of at the peak of the troubles then it was before the good friday agreement and so on Um. You know we soldiers on the street we couldn't go to shops without showing our our bags emptying our pockets being searched and so on very Mm. limited in in where we could go and things you know that didn't really affect people like me too too much but you were aware that this is a different climate it's a different happening it's a different kind of sense about the place and i suppose i missed um i missed being in europe love going back on holidays of course and i do kind of just you know there's something like the key and the lock goes back into that sense of youth and freedom and uh kind of vibrancy for life and so on that's not to say that we don't have it here in northern ireland we certainly do um but there's just something different about europe and languages and people
1: yeah i i mean it's ironic isn't it because you know we you, you look at the current climate now in terms of, of being a teacher and you know <laughs> whether they're they're serious or kind of half-heartedly joking there's a lot of people that are looking you know for for a main reason really in terms of moving to scotland or wales in terms of the the pay progression and the kind of the pay scales that that yeah. are available but it's it's yeah. quite interesting that you were doing this kind of 30 years ago 30 you know 35 years ago whatever it was yeah. um yeah. and and kind of having that experience that that a lot of people really are uh are starting to look at for different reasons now. I think it's, it's, you know, we could do a whole separate podcast on location and teaching and, you know, Australia is always quite a good one. I've worked with quite a few people that have moved to kind of yes. um, yeah. Australia and, you know, Dubai and places like that. So it's, it's quite interesting to me as someone who's been doing this job for what 15 16 years that this was kind of almost a thing you know all those years ago so um yeah. in some ways paul you're a bit of a pioneer really in that respect i'd imagine i can't can't believe there was too many people doing it at that time so it's um it's good well, to hear those experiences
2: uh, well you have to think you know I, I don't i'd love to be able to say that's true but it was part of my degree uh you have to remember that you know my degree is in french um so, you know, everybody who did a modern language and was going on to be a teacher did have a, a, a placement year. Um, for one reason or another, mine had to be at the end of my degree uh, after I'd actually done, you know, the, the studying and so on. But that was just a personal thing. There was no other way around that due to just some personal circumstances that had happened. So uh, much as I'd love to claim to have been a pioneer, I can't. <laughs>
1: well it's, i think it's good paul because you know we have um you know we have a range of people that listen to these shows in terms of where they're at in uh, their career where they're at in terms of whether they're you know a, a class teacher uh, senior leaders so it's it's good to kind of to get a variety of of um you know different viewpoints and kind of share that really And and i always like to to kind of dive into people's experiences in terms of you know where they've been where they are now and, and where they want to go so it's, it's really interesting to talk yep. to you on that and just kind of picking up um you know obviously if it, it, people should be aware i guess but the troubles were, were obviously a huge and, and and difficult period for for northern ireland but you know you you mentioned that you were working in a school at that point and you know you talked about um the issues with kind of moving around freely and showing badges and stuff like that i mean we're obviously here to talk about you know pastoral elements of of school but i'm assuming that that period of your career must have taught you an awful lot about the other side of teaching in terms of the you know the social work and the the emotional um elements of of students and things like that so was that was that kind of quite a grounding experience for you in terms of your career overall
2: i think when you you know when you live here and when you've grown up here um you kind of have a sense of, um, well, this is the way life is, this is how it goes. And, uh, you know, as I said, I wasn't too, too affected by the troubles. Um, and plenty of people were, and I would have taught plenty of people who were affected by it. And in different ways, you know, not always directly or not always, um, you know, through direct violence or whatever. But yes, it was always there. You were more aware of it. Than you were witnessing it I suppose that's that's kind of my sense and yes when you're dealing with groups you do have to be cognizant of who you're talking to and how what you're saying might be picked up and so on you know but I suppose um, one of the earliest maybe direct encounters I had with the troubles was um, I taught French as I told you and I taught a guy called uh, well I can I'll not tell you his name but He was a great student, super student, definitely an A student in my book. And as a teacher, you love your A students. And we came to the the day of the exam and he didn't turn up. Now, what we would have done very pastorally in my school is um, the principal would have allowed us to jump in the car, go to the house, find out what's going on, get him in, do the exam and so on. And I drove to the house. And I knocked on the door and his mummy said, Mr. Hazard, I'm very sorry, he won't be going in today. I said, but look, he's done all this work. He's in for an A and this is going to be dreadful. And she said, no, I'll never get him out of bed. And I said, well, why not? And she said, well, he had to be up throwing stones over the peace wall last night. And you know, that kind of thing happened. People forget, you know, those kind of incidental things that went on as part of the troubles. It wasn't all direct violence. It was you know things that curtailed our lives and so on
1: mm.
2: turns out he didn't come in he didn't do his exam
1: and he was my star student Such mm, a pity. Um, that is that's quite a story isn't it i mean you know it's i it's always dependent on where you work and the kind of experiences that your your cohorts and children and students have but that mm. you know the, there will be i'm sure a number of educators you know your age and and who experienced that kind of thing and that's quite you know, for for me to hear that that that's quite a sobering thing, really. Um, and I and I guess it it doesn't. I wouldn't say it would. It would. I mean, obviously, I can't speak for for how you feel about it. But I guess it. There is a point where it kind of hardens you a little bit, and you you kind of become a bit more aware of not just as you say, kind of passing exams and and going through the education system. You're, you're dealing really with kind of young adults and and how they see the world. And when you've got something like the troubles going on. You know around you and on your doorstep and as you said kind of almost hanging over you and being there it it must change or it must have changed kind of how you dealt really um in terms of the students you had and i i guess really i think it
2: definitely yeah very cool go for it yeah 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 yeah, yeah. no it definitely does um and you do get a sense of you know their lives are just more than the half hour that's in front of you or certainly i did and i was always looking um to do things with uh, students that would, you know, enhance the quality of their lives, you know, that would really kind of um, allow them to see that they had lots of opportunities and all they had to do was kind of shrug off the kind of the parochialism and, you know, embrace the big world that's out there. Um, And I always loved this idea of doing things with uh, students that would kind of raise all the boats, just in the way the tide comes in and raises all the boats. And one of the ways, you know, I thought I could be most effective in doing that was making sure that anywhere I worked, that ethos, that pastoral care was of such quality that would allow, you know, kind of ring of safety so that students could be themselves, they could have their dreams, they could have their wishes. And, you know, at least for six hours a day with us, you know they could try their best to fulfill their potential and so on funny I mean, we're going to look at that on thursday night in the late, late show at nine to ten i have a fantastic guest uh alistair hamill coming on he's an expert practitioner in what we now call shared education uh because we have a number of systems here in northern ireland which um you know we've kind of got our ordinary system which uh Northern Ireland is probably fair to say it's uh, sectarian, and sectarian in the best sense of the word, as in that, you know, we've got a Catholic system, and then we have, if you like, a Protestant system, which was handed over to the state, I think at some stage in the 30s. Around about 1980, 81 or so on, we introduced what's called the integrated system, and that integrated system allowed uh, Catholic and Protestant uh, Pupils to go to one school and, and indeed all sorts of other uh, religions and so on to go to one school. Paul, have, have you
1: just 15... plugged? Have you, have you just plugged your show and my show, Paul? Is that how this has worked? <laughs> how the tables turned?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I've just done that. No, I mean,
1: but look, you know that's that's relevant to what we're talking about, and that's you know really really excited. Yeah. For, um for what you're gonna do um just just keep me focused yeah (laughs) Yeah, exactly yeah just I mean just going back to that comment about you know what you made about the, the boats rising and kind of having a safety net it's it's really interesting because when i first started out as a as a what well, they were called nqt's in those days it's ect now and i can never keep up with what they keep changing them but uh-huh. you know the, the the title now is ect for anyone that's kind of newish to the profession and the head yeah. teacher i had he was he was absolutely brilliant you know he was he was kind of coming to the end of his career and he'd been in the job for for a long time but he was brilliant for yeah. for me personally and the stuff that he said and on the very first day he said to me we always try and teach our children to kind of leave their baggage at the front door and i was like what what's he on about you know what what's he talking about and and i didn't know how to do that of course i was only like what he said you know that comment stuck with me massively and has done and i yeah to other people now because you can't you can't completely block out and you you know ridiculous to, to assume you can but you know the life experiences of the children you teach but by kind of terming it as a kind of a physical element in, in some cases, it does help a little bit in terms of actually, you know, getting the children to invest in what you're doing with them academically, but, you know, pastorally in school. So that's, that's something that's, that's stuck with me and clearly, you know, your kind of, um, you know, your metaphor for it has, has stuck with you as well. Um, and I guess it kind of leads me on to say the first point we've been talking for 20 minutes would you believe it or not but you know in terms of 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 what I really wanted to to discuss today with with your help really was what you know for you personally what does pastoral actually mean because there'll be some people listening to this and, and maybe saw the you know the show title and just thought oh here's that word again a little bit like well-being a little bit like safeguarding but you know what does what does the pastoral element of what you did in your career and are still doing to some extent mean, mean to you, Paul?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, to me, it's very much the lifeblood of the school. Um, I used to be very friendly with, uh, professor Ron Best. Um, I think he taught at, uh, was it Essex and maybe at Roehampton as well. And there's somewhere in one of his books he's, he's written, I don't know if it's a chapter, but certainly the heading for a paragraph. The school is the pastoral the pastoral is the school and it might sound a little bit twee and a little bit manufactured but I, I really believe that I think that's really true Um so for me the pastoral is very much about um you know nourishing people it's about meeting the person where they're at it's about having a contact with them uh, and so on I think it's really really important for school and um, that whole I suppose a kind of cluster of terms, ethos, climate, uh, pastoral care, uh, culture, and so on. They're what the pastoral are to me, and they have an enormous influence on us. You know, we can teach directly and didactically, didactically, and you can learn your French verbs and so on, but how you learn them. The ambience, the atmosphere, the feel and the way in which you learn those things and how that teacher and those teachers and those people relate to you, that will dictate an awful lot of the person that you become. And I always think that, you know, yes, we teach individual subjects, we may teach two, three, five subjects, but our job is nonetheless to help to kind of bring to fruition that little person, that human being, to send them off out into the world, you know, as complete as we can send them at the age they're at. Um, the, the, The reverse, I suppose, of it is to think about ourselves as teachers and think, who were the people that influenced us? And, you know, I would say with a fair degree of certainty, it will not be the person who taught you, you know, your French verb. Well, it could be the person, but. You're not influenced by them because Mm. of the French verbs they taught you. You're influenced because of how they related, the person they were, how they treated you, the esteem in which they held you. So for me, you know, pastoral care is, you know, very much the school. And it's often felt more in its absence. If you like, it's a bit like the oxygen in the air. We kind of take it for granted. It's there, we go about our business, but when it's gone, we suddenly realize how crucial, how central, how important it is to everything that we do.
1: I mean, it's you know what fascinated listening to you because I I really like talking, um really like talking anyway, but I really like talking about the pastoral element of, of education, and I think what's been really good for me personally is that it's it's not it's kind of not an element anymore even though I've just called it that it's you know I've I've always found said I think you used the word ambience and the kind of setting and the mood Mm -hmm. and everything else is is more important potentially than what you're teaching and I I kind of learned very quickly in my career that I needed to play to my strengths you know I I like to be tidy I like people to be polite and respectful i like to make sure that you know would like to make sure that my classes were engaging and inviting from an from an environmental point of view and i yes. i had lots of different roles that were kind of curriculum based but i just didn't enjoy them and i knew that i preferred you know the kind of behavior element the um the safeguarding element if you can ever prefer safeguarding but just the kind of idea that you know one day i knew that i was or i wanted to have children and i wanted i wanted to make sure that what i was doing in the classroom would be what i would expect for them if that makes sense In a kind of a long drawn out wheel um but i knew that i didn't want to do social work because i like teaching as well like i like those kind of you know seeing the progression the academic progression with children but you know that that kind of you know um teachers uh, treated pupils as as kind of human beings is such a it, you know in, in a to a lot of people listening it would be such an obvious comment and they'll be thinking okay why, why is that even being said and, and debated but actually you know even in as you said in your experience in my experience I I had teachers that just didn't like people let alone children um and the ones that I did you know were, were topics I didn't enjoy in maths there we go again but I liked it because the teacher I had in secondary school always ways without fail just asked how how I was and kind of welcomed me in and and what was really interesting about it, I didn't know who he didn't like and it was very obvious in in the classes that I was in that there were teachers that just knew you, you just knew straight away they didn't like certain people so it it's a really it's a really pertinent point um and you've kind of summed up really nicely why it's You know why it's so vital and why it's so important um and it's 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 really you know i don't want to because obviously you're you're lecturing now and you'll, you'll talk a little bit more about that later on but when i have when we have um you know kind of students coming through it's not something that's really discussed properly i feel at the training stage would you would you kind of agree with that assessment obviously i know you're in you're based in northern ireland but you know certainly in england there's there's a big part of it of just getting it right and with pastoral it's kind of you either do it or you don't would you kind of agree with that assessment
2: um and obviously that's a question that puts me in a difficult position <laughs> it's, part, it's partly my responsibility to do something about that and um, I, I do think yes i do think i think it's difficult. Um, to do a lot on pastoral early on at that initial uh, teacher training stage. I do think it um, your ability to be pastoral benefits from having some life experience, just some more. I think young teachers, uh, trainee teachers and, and young teachers are busy learning their craft. And I think that's fine. I think that's great. I think we need to be expert uh, well-crafted teachers. I think that's very, very, very important. But I think like you said, as you go through and you begin to acquire you know, the skills and capabilities that are difficult to teach in teacher training, you begin to see that there's a lot more than just the manner in which someone will learn their French verbs or something. It's got to do with how you relate to them, how you present to them, Um, and it's really about making that deep, deep, unique and distinctly human contact with them that allows them to be inspired. You know, you can't just inspire someone by telling them, right, be inspired, go and learn those verbs, but you know, you can relate to them in ways that kind of, you know, are very profound that make them want to work uh, hard. Not necessarily just for you, but for themselves, because that's ideally what we want. We want them to be self-motivated, confident, enterprising young people. So yes, there is no doubt that universities need to address the pastoral. Young teachers heading out into schools need to know what it is. There are certain aspects of the pastoral like child protection and so on and so forth. Uh, drug education, uh, personal social education and those sorts of things that they need to know a lot about. Uh, They may well end up teaching personal social education. So they need to know how do you teach about uh, relationships and sexuality or SRE, I think they call it in England. Um, how do you uh, teach about uh, alcohol and drugs and so on and so forth? Those are critical things and they're skills-based things. But pastoral in its wider sense of literally being there for those students is a broader thing. It comes with life experience. You can still be young. Chronologically, you can be young and be extraordinarily pastoral. But I think for many, it kind of comes with experience.
1: Mm. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about training and skills uh, right after this, Eric. And we do love ha- uh, happy happy reading, happy development, happy pastoral skills, all on Teachers Talk Radio. So, um, yeah, you're listening live with me, Ben Thomas, on the Tuesday Twilight Show with my uh, brand new guest. He's never appeared on one of these before, to my knowledge. <clears throat> Paul Hazard, as I quietly cough and lose my voice. Um, so, we, you know, we've, we've covered, you know, we're going for, I said going, but we've been talking for about, 31 minutes 32 minutes something like that um and you know we've covered quite a range already and and it's as i said it's it's fascinating listening to you you know both in terms of your experiences but the kind of outlook that you have with you know for me and, and i guess for many other people such a vital um almost natural part of school like it's, it's very clear to me that you have uh you have a passion for it and and obviously mm-hmm. you, you said right at the start of the show you talked a little bit about your your career path and and what that led to you to um and and obviously most recently you've been a a kind of a lecturer or are still a lecturer um i guess you know putting you thinking about where where you are now and thinking about my experiences with you know training on um and and upskilling on kind of pastoral elements of school do you do you kind of feel that there is enough you talked before the ad break and, and you're very right to do so in terms of experience, but do you feel that, you know, in, in the current educational environment, when we've got sound bites and policies being thrown around, particularly in this country around, you know, math teaching and do this and do that and all the rest of it. Do you feel like there is enough focus and kind of drive behind the pastoral elements to You know not just train new teachers or or, you know want to be teachers but existing teachers in in your experience
2: um um yeah i suppose most of my experience is in northern ireland here and you know we do certainly in northern ireland believe that the pastoral is essential it's absolutely crucial uh, to what we do. It's there in our policies, our programs, our day-to-day practices, uh, and so on. And it it, it looms large, you know. In Northern Ireland, we would certainly be aware that, you know, pastoral has a significant contribution to make to raising standards, raising results, and so on. Rightly so, I think we put a focus on it. I I always think it's a little bit like the tide that raises all the boats in the harbour. So, you know, why not put a lot of effort into that tide? You know, if every child, for example, that we taught, if every child were confident, enterprising, self reliant, self assured, wouldn't every subject benefit from that? All grades in all subjects. Would surely rise. So, I think it's it's absolutely crucial. I do understand that there are enormous pressures on teachers, on management, on schools. Parents put pressure on, and that pressure is for results, of course. And that's only one of the pressures. You know, you've Ofsted pressures. You people coming in to look at you to measure you. You know, and and to walk away throwing back a a one word assessment of what you're like. And I understand that to invest in something like the pastoral, when you have to get X, Y, and Z done by the end of the month can seem counterproductive. It can seem a bit of a waste of time. But it generally isn't, uh, is the short answer. Um, But there is a job maybe to be done to persuade a lot of teachers, a lot of managements, governors and others, those people I mentioned, there is a job to be done to persuade them of the value of the pastoral. And again, and you'll realize I like my metaphors and my stories. It's a little bit like, you know, the Karate Kid and uh, Mr. Miyagi and he tells them to yeah. go out and he has to, you know, polish the car and it's wax on, it's wax off. And you know, the karate kid's absolutely exhausted and his arms are wrecked and he doesn't understand. It's not linking up and it's not making sense for him. And he just can't get this. And he's about to throw the towel in and walk away. And of course they go to the competition and he's supremely trained, but he didn't realize all the while just the value of what he was doing. And I do think that if you're a busy mathematician, geographer, historian, languages teacher and you've got your absolutely packed curriculum, you've got your GCSEs and your A-levels, come, I can understand that you want to drive your class really really hard and you know form class in the morning or registration or, and so on, and some child coming with an issue or a difficulty, or, you know, a vice principal comes down and tells you there's an issue with that class, you need to address that before you do A, B, and C. I can understand how that puts pressure on teachers, but in my experience, and, you know, I could point to an awful lot of people who are convinced that, uh, Sorting issues uh, and so on, doing it first, is a much better way of uh, clearing children's minds of worries and stresses so that then they focus on you, they give attention, they do the work much better. And, you know, Ben, I'd like to say as well, you know, people think the pastoral is a lot to do with deficiency and problem solving and managing things like drugs or behavior and this and that. And, and that is all true. It is all uh, it, it, it is a lot to do with that. But I think it's much more than just the deficiency aspects that children in society and schools have to deal with. There's a lot to do, you know, with ambition. Um the three schools I taught in here in Northern Ireland, I was head of careers uh, in all of them. Because I think you know, there's a lot about helping children to see clear pathways for themselves, allowing them to see a clear route ahead, and then helping them and supporting them, uh, both directly and through your subjects to kind of fulfil, you know, their ambition and their drive towards something. So, yes, I think there are difficulties, OK, there's no doubt about that. But um, the wise teacher will be a Mr. Miyagi, and he will understand that um, you know sorting things out helping children with the pastoral having a good strong vision of what it's about and um, in the end brings great results
1: paula i don't think there's are going to be too many uh teacher-led um podcasts this year maybe even you know in the next couple of years that are going to relate pastoral care to, to the mr miyagi story you've just told but. Uh... <laughs> yeah, if people are listening and they've they've not seen the movie, uh, the Lion King is fantastic. So go out and and check that one because it's it's a really good one. No, I'm joking. It's obviously the Karate Kid, but it's uh, yeah, it's it's a good one. Um, I mean, uh, you, you're right. I, you know, it's a it's a really good. You know, one of, one of the main reasons I like doing the show is because I get to speak to a, a lot of different people, and one of the one of the things that I really enjoy is kind of having my own views chains and challenge and things like that and actually what what you've just said about pastoral almost being kind of reactive but actually it's it's more about the proactive element of of what you do is is just absolutely spot on for me because <clears throat> you know when you consider all the things that come under a kind of a pastoral umbrella if there was such a thing a lot of the the systems that schools put in place and they want to create into the culture and ethos which ultimately should be for the benefit of the pupils in that school. And and we all know that there are schools out there that don't do it for those do a separate pod on that. But actually creating that culture yeah. and that kind of you know this this desire to want to make the school building the best it can be for the for the pupils that use it most is absolutely yeah. vital. And that's a really, really interesting point about, you know, being proactive and 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 not just dealing with the kind of the negative element of or the perceived negative element of of pastoral care so yeah i mean that's that's a really um a really pertinent point i think in terms of you know talking from a, a northern irish point of view now in terms of kind of guidance for um for teachers whether they're experienced whether they're new whether they're class teachers whether they're classroom support assistants kind of what how is how is that that guidance filtered down from you know the the top echelons of the northern irish education department to school level do you have any understanding or idea of how that how that operates because i think it's quite good for for people to listen to to how that works really well
2: i suppose in the old days it used to happen through people like me who uh, you know when i was an education advisor schools would contact me uh, and I would go out, I would listen to the management of the school, I would get a sense of what they wanted to achieve, what maybe they needed, and I would negotiate some in-service with them. It could be a day, it could be three days, it could even be a week. Uh, it could maybe be a week spread over a year or, or something like that. And that's how it would have happened in the old days. Uh, cutbacks and so on and so forth have meant that um, our support services are really pared back to next to nothing. Um, universities have, well they might contribute a little bit uh, but people would need to come and do a master's course with the likes of me or someone uh, like that. Uh, but universities really have other work to do and they need to focus on their students. In Northern Ireland and again um, you know we'll talk a little bit about this on Thursday night. Um, in Northern Ireland we have um, a kind of concept if you like called every school a good school. It's a kind of a program of raising standards across the board and there's a document in that um, kind of clutch or, or set of documents uh, called uh, learning leaders and one of the things that learning leaders promotes is what you might call the cascade model. In other words, uh, you know, you, you observe good practice somewhere and you would maybe go along to that school or that individual who might then lead some in service uh, in an area learning community. An area learning community would be a cluster of schools that maybe work together and so on. I suppose that's how. Um, Outside of academia, that's really how uh, pastoral is shared and kind of inspired and teachers get their their training and so on nowadays, you know, and it's it's fine in the climate where there isn't much money and there aren't advisors and, you know, that strong sense of, you know, uh, a, a single strong vision and leadership who can you know, go into schools and take in service and inspire staff and really change the direction of a, of a management. In the absence of that, you know, the cascade model is, is fine, it, it works, it works well. Um, I suppose, you know, it's limited in time. Schools and, and area learning communities have lots and lots of priorities. Uh, they don't always put pastoral at the center of those priorities. So, you know, that's more the petty, but that's how it is.
1: The minute. Did you enjoy the, um, you know, the advisory role that you did, particularly with the pastoral element? Did you feel like, um, you, you know, it was, that sounds cheesy, but did you did you feel like it was kind of satisfying, and you and you were getting a lot out of it, or was it one of those things that you'd kind of, you know, you'd start with the school and you'd kind of help them to put things in place, um. You know because we've we've all worked with advisors that basically don't know what they're doing and go right i'm going to come in for a day and drop it in and then leave but did you did you kind of get satisfaction from seeing those changes slowly but surely because you know pastoral is kind of the long game isn't it it's it's not it's not something that you can look at in terms of curriculum and go right, changes pretty quickly you know the pastoral is as you've said time and again and I, I, I pass personally through you're absolutely spot on to say it it's a culture thing right so yeah. did you did you kind of enjoy that role because you you sound to me like someone who wants to see things or wanted to see things through all the way um, you know in terms of being there and kind of changing that culture from the ground up was was that something that you were able to do or was it a little bit more tricky in that kind of advisory role?
2: No, that's absolutely right, Ben. The The pastoral is a depth charge. And, you know, you just drop it in and it sinks slowly to the bottom. And then it, it radiates out this wealth, this wealth of climate change, culture change, direction. And over a period of time, you begin to see the fruition of that. You're absolutely spot on as well. I absolutely love that job. I think uh even outside of, you know, teaching and students and young people in the classroom, I think that was, um, you know, my favourite and best and probably most rewarding time uh, in my career. Um, I have a belief, you see, that, you know, if, if you make teachers great, then almost consequently, almost automatically, consequently, you're having a huge positive influence on the students that they teach, you know. So, you know, great people, I think, become great teachers. And I think it's absolutely vital that all leadership, all government, invests immensely in teachers. You know, teachers are far too important not to be invested in. And look, you know, it's very difficult to, it's a bit like riding a bicycle, you know, it's a lot easier to get on and try it than it is to describe, you know, how it is to ride a bicycle. People got a little glimpse, you know, during lockdowns, they got a little glimpse into what teachings like. They maybe helped their own children uh, to do some maths or languages and so on and so forth. And gosh, they found it difficult, you know. And if you read the social media of the time, they were complaining and they're pulling their hair out and this, that, and the other. But teachers do that all day. Every day, not just for their own one or two children, but they do it for classrooms of 20, 25, 30 children. And they do it day in, day out, and they do it miraculously well. You know, if you look mm-hmm. at any given year in any given class, you look at September and you look where that class is then in, in the following June, those teachers have done a great, great job. So I'm a firm believer in investing in teachers. I loved my time as an education advisor. I think it's a very impoverished area now. But, you know, if we're not investing in teachers, we are creating a problem for the medium to long term future, not only for schools and teachers, but for the children that they're teaching. And I mean, they are our future. They deserve uh, our investment.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a good point. It's. Um... Yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed it. And I, I think, um, you know, what you just said there, you know, listening to, to that, you know, I, I personally, in a, in a kind of perverse way, quite enjoyed lockdown for a lot of respect, you know, for our, for the position our school was in at that time, it gave us, it gave us space. It gave us time to, um to reflect and change and and move things forward but you know you're right there was I think there was probably certainly from parents I wouldn't say particularly from from anyone in government but certainly from parents I've I've noticed there's been a definite shift in respect is kind of a bit of a big word but the kind of the appreciation for what goes on and that doesn't mean you know walking in every Friday with bars of chocolate for teachers but just the kind of actually do you know what? all the stuff i was complaining about before probably isn't that important now i've been on the other side of it so yeah. that is a really good point um and i think certainly it's it's one of those where we're in a situation now with with a number of of political kind of agendas but you know that the, the pastoral element of 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 children's lives and and what they're experiencing in 2023 is is far beyond anything but I probably trained or, or, or kind of experienced in the first few years I was teaching. So it's, it's really, um, it's a really, really good point. Um, we're going to go, uh, we're going to go to a news break now, and that's going to play for I mean, six or seven minutes or so, and then we'll come straight back and we'll, we'll talk to Paul a little bit more widely about the education sphere and, um, and how things are going over in Northern Ireland, but also in, in this country as well. So we'll be right back on The Twilight Show with me, Ben Thomas.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
4: In union news, Daniel Kbede has been elected leader of the National Education Union. The union is the largest teachers' union and has been at the forefront of industrial action over teachers' pay in recent months. Mr Kabede said in a statement, after taking 69% of the vote to win the election, I am honoured to have been elected as General Secretary. I would like to thank everyone who has supported and campaigned for me. He went on to talk about the need for fundamental change in education, and that this included an end to real-terms pay cuts, an end to massive overwork of staff, the end of punitive ofsted's, and an increase in school funding. He also thanks current Joint General Secretaries, Kevin Courtney and Dr. Mary Bowstead for their inspiring leadership over the last six years. They will step down at the end of August. The BBC reports that, according to a leaked government document, Almost a quarter of teachers in England are working 12 hour days with around 60% of teachers saying they were doing 60 hours a week or more. The research by the Department for Education was carried out during spring 2022, but the findings have not been officially made public. Education Secretary Gillian Keegan has said that a new task force will be created to help reduce teachers workload by an average of five hours per week. The leak comes as teaching unions consult members in England on a new pay offer, which includes the promise to reduce workload. The leak document marked confidential and given the title Working Lives of Teachers and Leaders, was produced by the DfE to examine issues around teacher supply, recruitment and retention. More than 11,000 teachers and leaders across primary and secondary were questioned. The report found one in four teachers were considering leaving the state sector within the next 12 months, workload was the key factor in this decision. Three quarters said they spent too much time on paperwork. Two thirds of leaders said they spent too much time responding to government policy changes. One in five said they had low satisfaction in their working life, whilst almost a half rated their anxiety levels as high. Almost three quarters of teachers described their workload as unacceptable. Dr. Mary Bowstead of the NEU accused Ministers of withholding important information from the pay review body, although the Government denied this. A spokesperson for the Government insisted that the recent pay offer of 4.3% plus a £1,000 one-off payment was fair and reasonable. The Department for Education has released an update site focusing on the review of the way relationships, sex and health education is delivered. The update comes after a number of stories across media outlets prompted concern and outrage from some quarters and claims that hysteria is being whipped up by right-wing agitators from others. RSHE education has been compulsory for pupils in primary schools since September 2020. In secondary schools, relationships and sex education must be taught. The review, which will be completed by an expert panel, we'll focus on how to ensure pupils have access to age-appropriate information and how to place protection from pupils being introduced to things that they are too young to understand properly. The panel will also consider how age ratings can be introduced for different parts of the curriculum. The review will be completed before the end of 2023. As we approach Easter, the debate about supporting families who receive support through free school meals should be supported in holiday times, and it's opened up again. The Big Issue raises concerns that despite the cost of living crisis, many families will go without support until term begins again. In what it calls a postcode lottery for support, many families will miss out as current funding largely depends on where you live. In England, the government is not directly funding free school meals over the Easter break, but support may be available if local councils decide to provide meals or vouchers. Many councils are relying on the Holiday Activities and Food Programme to support low-income families. In Scotland, some councils are offering free school meals payments to low-income families, but universal free school meals for children in Primary 1-5 to will not be available. There is some support available, but it varies by council, as does the amount of support being offered. The Welsh Government has made free meals available throughout the holiday period, The Government in Wales announced that £9 million has been provided to support eligible pupils with a free meal up to the end of May half term, including all bank holidays. The support will take the form of meal vouchers, money or packed lunches. In Northern Ireland, no free school meal provision is available. The previous holiday hunger payments of £27 per fortnight ceased on April 1st. A Department for Education spokesperson said it was because additional ring-fenced funding had ended. But campaigners focusing on food poverty said the decision was abhorrent. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox.
0: Talk Radio and you are listening live.
3: Oh,
1: Paul! Do you know what I was doing? I was talking and I realised I was on mute. How ridiculous is that? Don't <laughs> totally. do that on Thursday, honestly. Tricks of the trade: always have your microphone on. That's always always a good shout.
3: Good um,
1: you are you're back with me, Ben Thomas, on the Twilight Show uh, here on Tuesday with my guest, Paul Hazard. Um, eagle eared viewers or listeners, viewers listeners, I've lost completely lost the plot now. Uh, will know that that's that's kind of ever so slightly outdated news. I couldn't actually find the the new one, the new news, if you like. I'm sure it's there. Um, but Paul, I kind of I, I wanted to put your brains on a slightly newer um, news topic, if if I may, while while you're on the show, kind of, kind of yeah. talking all things pastoral. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this was a this was a report from the Daily Mirror. Um, over here in in England, that reported on figures released by the DfE, which showed that more than 140,000 schoolchildren were severely absent in the summer of 2022. And it goes on to say, uh, the article refers to these young people as ghost children and raises concerns that this pattern is continuing into the current academic year. Uh, the DfE says that the term severely absent refers to children of school age who are not receiving what they describe, in inverted commas, as a suitable education, either with a teacher or homeschooling. Um, they are usually those with attendance below 50%. So what we'd call, you know, persistently absent in our school, you know, children below 90% who have missed 10% or more of their education. Um and I kind of I wanted to necessarily sidestep because it's all part of the same process. Um, but kind of your views on on school attendance really, because it's it's not you know, it's not just an individual school issue at the moment. It's it you know, for me talking to you know, to various educators in, in schools, whether they're primary or secondary, that the attendance at the moment is is pretty bad, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it seems to be, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's
1: it's such a difficult one to to manage, and I and I just really from from my point of view, I just wanted to know your kind of take on it. Really, you know, what your kind of experience of managing attendance, improving attendance, you know, talking to parents and children around attendance was because you know in our school it's it's a big driver at the moment, but it's yeah. it's difficult because children get ill, right? It's you don't want ill children in school, but at the same time, there are families that potentially. You know take more time off than than they need and or or should in in some respects so what yeah. kind of what tips or what experiences have you had with with dealing with attendance really well, I think yeah,
2: people will get ill, you know there's no doubt about that and and you know they'll be so ill they they will miss school, but I think what you're really angling at there is the chronic absence uh or chronic absenteeism and you know. I often think, you know, attendance and absence both have a lot to do with momentum. You know, if you're a good attender, you won't want to take time off. If you're a poor uh, attender, that kind of momentum follows through and it can become very difficult and very hard uh, to get back into school. Um, and then, you know, there are all the issues that go along with that. And it's not just exams and so on. I mean, where do they learn to socialize? And where do they learn to get on with people? And all sorts of things like that. Um, I think it's really important, not easy, but really important that school is engaging, relevant and meaningful for young people. If they don't see purpose and meaning in it, if they don't see that it has something to offer them, they will, if the opportunities allow, they will not attend. And then, you know, their absenteeism can become chronic. So we need to find ways, and I think that, you know, they need to be serious uh, ways that really have a positive impact. Now, it could be through careers education. Uh, In the past, uh, we had a lot of success with chronic uh, absentee children. Uh, in a program that uh, I devised, uh, it was way back in 1992, I think it was, and we called that a school-to-work program. So children who were coming near, you know, school-leaver age who opted out or refused to come to school and so on, we did a kind of a bridging thing between employers and schools. So they might've been uh, three days in, a, in a, uh, a placement, in a work placement and two days in school, or vice versa, or something like that. But we certainly found that uh, once in the workplace, children realized that actually, do you know what, do you see that teacher talking about maths or science or ge- that's actually really important? I wish I knew more. And we find that it did increase commitment. In fact, we used to have such success with some children, not all, but, but a few of them, that even when they would progressed beyond compulsory school age, they wanted to come back. Um, so I do, think, um, I do think things like that need to happen. Um, and we need to look at an education system that's much more appropriate, much more flexible, and much more able to meet uh, the, the needs, personal needs, the psychological, the motivational, uh, the career and the aspiration needs of every child, you know, we probably clump uh, children together too much and get them to GCSE and key stages and so on and think, you know, one size fits all there. It doesn't anymore. It doesn't. And children are very savvy about what the world is like and social media keeps them informed of avenues they can can go down. I'm not saying it's good uh, Mm. necessarily, but, um, you know, they're much more savvy in what they want to do. And, yeah. You know, hard pill to swallow, but schools have a lot to compete with. It's very, very difficult to compete with, you know, the pop stars, the footballers, the social media, the influencers, and so on. And, and they just draw children away in droves and they yeah. just kill I mean- off motivation and commitment.
1: I think you're right. I mean, the, <clears throat> the point you made right at the start of, of the point you just made um, about, you know, building momentum and and being kind of present in school, you know, you get into a role with a project or a, a scheme of work and you, you're right, like children just won't want to miss out because they, or hopefully they enjoy being at school. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that that is talking from our own schools point of view you know there are very few children in the middle of of between 100 and 90 percent you know we've got children that have been ever present all the way through the year and I'm not for one second saying that that's you know the right thing to do because mm-hmm. as i always say whether it's it's adults in school or, or children if if you're ill do not come in you know we're, we're looking after people's well being, you've got to make sure you're, you're you know well enough to be able to to do what you're being asked to do mm-hmm. but then we've got children you know that are kind of below 90 percent for, for various different reasons as well so yeah. kind of i think getting that momentum and, and kind of building that is is a really important point and also you know that the, the point you made about kind of almost fitting into school and how they see themselves in that, what is essentially an organization institution, like where, where do they fit within that? Um, You know, and, and, you know, talking about my own children, you know, they're eight, I've got twins and they are very, very clear on what they like and don't like now, you know, almost in in the last sort of year, they've really developed that sense of this is what I like. And this is what I don't like for these reasons, which is great. But I don't remember as a, as an eight year old, being really clear on on what I really enjoyed and what I kind of really put value in if that makes sense so it's yeah. it's an ever-changing world and you're right that that idea about schools kind of competing is is a is a again <laughs> another good point in a, in a list of long ones that you've made tonight mm-hmm. Paul really but it's it, it really is true in the fact that you know on occasions attendance is because they just feel like they've got better things to do and they don't you know particularly for i'm assuming for older pupils they just don't want to be there because there's there's loads of other not necessarily negative temptations but they want to do other things rather than be at school so yeah it's it's a it's a good point about school having to um you know to battle and and kind of pitch themselves somewhere really um obviously you know we, we're aware of the legal duty of attending school but actually you know when when pupils get older they're just like you know what i'm just not gonna bother i don't like it for xyz and and that's where you know we've discussed already on the show tonight the pastoral element the kind of the caring element the the nurturing element really has to come in and kind of gone through this mind shift of of it being you know a weaker part of of people's psyche and personality and actually just saying well look it's everyone's got to feel wanted, everyone's got to feel respected, everyone's got to feel like they've got a place within this particular setting. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can't disagree with with anything you've said there, really. Um, and, you know, we, we talked a little bit there about attendance being a challenge from from your point of view and, and what you're kind of involved with currently, whether that's, you know, in, in Northern Ireland or whether that's over here in England. What, what kind of challenges overall do you... You know do you see in education? Like what kind of things are you looking at and thinking, okay, that's 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 a potential sticking point. That's that's gonna be something that needs to be kind of got over and, and moved on in order to to achieve XYZ. You know, what, what kind of challenges are you seeing at the moment, Paul?
2: Um well that's that's a broad <laughs> that's a broad question. and um, there are lots of things I know that was an old news but I think just the workload on teachers is immense. I think that's a huge Uh, challenge. Um, I think, as you say, um, attendance is a huge challenge. Um, I I do think, you know, it would be money well spent if the government engaged a a set, a group of intelligent, well intentioned people to look at how we educate uh, in the United Kingdom. You see, I think one of the things that uh, lockdown taught us was that children don't necessarily have to be sitting in classrooms in rows to be taught. There are other ways of teaching children, and they're very effective ways. And online, uh, you know, it had benefits and certainly for some subjects, it was more effective than others. I just wonder uh, if the curriculum is fit for purpose these days. You know when you think an influencer can have you know massive sway over children in one post and yet teachers can work for months and have almost no impact something Mm. something needs to give there um but you know i think you've heard me say it before and and you know i I don't really want to pull it back to the pastoral if you don't want me to but i always think you know uh, teachers are at the heart of this Yes, we do it because pupils, and without pupils, we don't exist and so on. But it is the teacher who's at the heart of all this. And I just wonder, you know, where's the pastoral care for staff? You know, if we're asked to give all of this, to get all these results, to have this attainment, to chase children up for attendance, to put our hands in our pockets and buy meals and uniforms and shoes, and do all sorts of things like that, you know, none of us were directly trained for much of that. Where is the care for the teachers who are being asked to be carers? Because very mm. few of us walk in, teach our subject, plan our lessons, mark our work, and you know, walk out again. You know, we do I'm, so so much more.
1: I mean, it's it's a good point. You know, there was um in the wake of you know the who actually I think I said this before on my show, but she. Um, she worked in in my local area so she's very well known to a lot of people i know uh, a lot of people that i've worked with and, and kind of the community in general so it's it's been um yeah it's been a very very difficult time with that but there was a, a guy um a guy called dave mcpartlin who is a head uh head teacher and he was on um bbc news a couple of weeks ago and he, he made the point you know who's safeguarding me you know who's looking after me yeah. and Who's like our teacher? And that's exactly what right. I'm. I'm sure it was Dave McPartland. I mean, if it, was Dave, was, yeah, he, it, it was Dave. Yeah, um, good, okay. it was. And was great. I'm the wrong person. But he, yeah. he was. Well, you know, we saw the interview, yeah. And he was. He was brilliant. He was and, great.
2: And there was a fabulous piece in the Times there. I think uh, was it last Saturday that he uh, was part of as well. Super stuff. Great stuff. Mm,
1: yeah. And I, I, you know, I think it's it's really um, it, there's there's a real growing momentum now. You know, there's there's a lot of have really good, um, extensive mental health uh, training for, you know, staff to obviously implement in their schools, but also to be able to look after their own staff as well and, and spot the signs. And you know, you can never, you can never be completely clear on what's going on in someone's head. But actually, the fact that there are so many more um, organisations and 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 kind of training uh procedures in place that that people can kind of tap into and use i think is a is a real positive and and it's yeah. it's about you know in in light of those challenges that you mentioned because i i would again i would agree with 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 what you've said there in terms of not necessarily for me but from what i've seen you know workload and and everything else it's it it's looking out for people and identifying those um you know those kind of signs that that might lead to a bigger thing so it's 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 good that that this has become part of an everyday discussion we're teaching now and i think it's it's really important that that, that everyone kind of embraces it and, and kind of uses it as, as a tool really um i mean in, in in terms of those kind of those challenges you talked about if we were going to flip that round what what generally would you say that you see are you know not just necessarily from your point of view because you know you've you've come across incredibly passionately and um you know got an awful lot of experience as we've said already but like what what are the positives to being a teacher still you know or being involved in education because you know for me and I've talked time and again on my show about how much I love but obviously you know generally speaking as a profession how would you kind of sell that to someone maybe new coming into it
2: um, yeah, yeah, you keep dropping out, Ben, but I think I got the gist of that, not to worry. Yeah. Look, um, <clears throat> I still think teaching's a great job. I still think it's the best job in the world. I quite often challenge uh, you know, teachers I lead in in-service, or whatever. I quite aft- often ask them, "Can you name me a better job? Can you think of a better job?" And they do struggle. You can think of better paid jobs. You can think of jobs with better conditions. But it's very, very difficult, um, you know, to think of, uh, you know, a better job. You know, quite often, um, teaching gives us, you know, existential crisis, really. But when teachers and teaching is well supported, it's recognised and so on and so forth. I often think it's the antithesis of an existential crisis. It's a very much a, a, a runway to, you know, purpose. Meaning, satisfaction, and so on, and and not to pull it back too politically, but I think, I think that's why people in power, the government, and so on, think, well, sure, teachers just do it because they love it, um, because we do, we are givers, you know. Um, I always talk as well, you know. One of the things we do as teachers is, you know, we get a chance to to make miracles happen almost on an hourly basis. You know you get a child to understand how french verbs work i I tell you you drive home happy that day Uh, and we do that you know we make we put smiles on people's faces we allow them to see themselves in the best light that they can we give them hope we give them inspiration i said to you i used to uh, be very keen on on teaching careers head of careers in three different schools and Remember, well, quite often, you get children who would come in and knock your office, maybe a door after a class, and maybe say to you, excuse me, excuse me, could I, could I have a word with you? And you kind of see, and you look, there's maybe a girl there, and you know her, and you know, think, great, great girl, super girl, and so on. And she would maybe come, and she would say to you, listen, could I have a quick word? Is there any chance, do you ever possibly think there's any chance maybe that I could possibly, I'm thinking of becoming a nurse, do you think I could? And you're kind of gobsmacked because you think, oh my good grief, you would be the most amazing nurse. What is it that's wrong that you don't have that view of yourself and that sense of yourself? We need to set about filling you full of that confidence, that enterprise, that belief in yourself. And I think there are very few other jobs where you get uh, so much opportunity to work so closely, so profoundly with people. At that kind of depth and in that kind of a way everything else or i shouldn't say everything but a lot of other things you know they're task focused they're task driven we get an opportunity to work at the very heart and the very pulse uh of what it is to be a person i think it's a great job super different to pay it us maybe <laughs> <laughs> would well, you know do you know
1: what there was during the one of the one of the last strikes obviously you know people go on picket lines and there was um there was a really great photo of someone who'd made a sign and it said uh, teachers create all other jobs and i yeah. and that really yeah. i was like you know what like when you when you think about it like a lot of you know well most people's formalized learning it, it happens at school right you know unless yeah. you've got parents that are there sort of after school with all these textbooks and everything else but like that was that was such an important point and i think you're right you know that that yeah. kind of story that you said about the nurse and and whatever like it it mm-hmm. you know obviously in your role as a as a careers advisor in, in schools but you know we that's what teachers try and do right without sounding cliche and and, and cheesy trying to open yeah. up you know young people's possibilities to to all the things that they could do in later yeah. life and that's where it starts that kind of love of of specific subjects of, of specific topics within the subjects yeah really yeah. kind of yeah. starts starts from there doesn't it really it
2: definitely
1: um, does yeah we are we're going to cut to an ad break uh for our fantastic sponsors john cat and then we'll be right back to close the show um while we're talking a little bit more to our guest or my guest uh, paul hazard um to to end the show tonight quite a few titles to check out there so please have a look at that uh, if and when you get time uh, some some great stuff i've got some great books off that website so um yeah have a little look um paul we're we're kind of we're rapidly coming to the end of of the show um and and what you've kind of talked about in terms of the you know pastoral element and the kind of the specific features within that has been absolutely fantastic it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you um being really nosy here, as I often am with my guests towards the end of the show. What you know away from from your you know your passion for education and, and passion for kind of training new educators. What what kind of stuff do you do away from you know lecturing and, and and the role that you have at the moment? Um.
2: Yeah. Well, it's it's not nosy at all. It's important to know the person and the person you're listening to. Um, Well, I'm retired now, which uh, of course is great. I love it. Uh, It gives me time and it gives me time to kind of do all the things I enjoy. So you know, I like to stay fit, I should do a bit more, Um, you know, I do a lot of walking. I live in Northern Ireland, I live in a place near Newcastle, County Down, and we're absolutely uh, spoiled here for countryside, we have mountains, forests, the sea, lakes, all pathways everywhere for you know just getting out and uh, enjoying getting fit, fresh air and everything. Um, so I did a lot of that. I would also be an avid reader. Um, and I used to read a lot of, um, you know, academic books and, and so on and so forth. But uh, really, since retiring, Uh, I've turned much more to, uh, pick up one of my first loves, which is reading fiction. Um, and I would read fiction in French and English. Uh, I'm trying to learn a little bit of Italian as well. That's, that's coming on rightly. Um, so that's it. Just spending time with family, uh, out and about walking, just, uh, enjoying life.
1: That's what I do. Sounds like you got a perfect balance there, really. That where where you live sounds phenomenal actually it's sounds incredible. fantastic
2: it's great so yeah. um
1: yeah if anyone's if anyone's looking for a holiday maybe check out that part of of northern ireland because it sounds absolutely wonderful Oh, um, yeah paul listen you you gave a kind of a mini plug for your show um oh, yeah. and you're, you're kind of you're you're coming up to to your day show which is going to be on thursday between nine and ten yes. um talk to us a little bit about um you know your guest and and what your what kind of the focus on is really and you know, you've got you've got two minutes to sum it up. I'll give you that free plug. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> two minutes.
2: <laughs> two minutes to plug the show. Well, Ben, it's The Late Late Show. It's this Thursday evening, 9 to 10. And we're going to talk about shared education. I think I mentioned it already. It's, it's unique to Northern Ireland. Uh, certainly in the, in the UK, it's unique to Northern Ireland. It's a way of educating children, of sharing their education, uh, whilst also respecting the backgrounds that they come from and, and so forth. Um, my guest is Alistair Hamel, who teaches in Lurgan, and he would be an expert, and he's done some amazing things along with uh, the other schools in the Lurgan area. In terms of shared education, they've had a fabulous impact on the attitudes the values and the abilities of the young people in that area really to extend their empathy their understanding to try and eradicate suspicion and uh, just basically to get along with each other
1: so i'm that's really it. looking that's forward Thursday to it evening. and it's um yeah it's, it's really good to kind of get I mean I'm I'm acting like I've done thousands of shows. I really haven't. I don't think I've even done ten yet on my own, but it it's quite incredible how quickly you you get into it and how you know I've I've really enjoyed kind of doing my show. So I hope that this is the start of of many, many shows for you on on Thursday Paul and that, you Great. know, everyone tunes in and, and listens to to what you've got to say. You know, from from my point of view, I've really, really enjoyed having you um on the show and talking through kind of you know pastoral element of education and and you know how important that actually is and it's it's really really clear to me that that even though you know you're retired not that's a bad thing i think i'm just saying that out of jealousy really to be (laughs) honest you you know you've still got you know really good grasp of what's going on but also the kind of the passion never seems to to or hasn't left you if that makes sense and i think you know, from, from someone who listens to, to these shows as well, not just hosting my own. It's, it's great that, you know, we've got someone else coming in with a different perspective, you know, living in a different locality and, and kind of really unpicking sort of key points in education. So Paul, thank you so much for, for being my guest tonight. I really, really appreciate you coming on and I hope uh, you've enjoyed it as well.
2: Ben, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much.
1: No problem at all. Well, you, you take care. Best of luck. Uh, for thursday we've got a lot of shows coming up we're actually on a bit of a marathon tonight really on on teachers talk radio because straight after me lucy's on i believe and then we're going i think we're going right up until 10 o'clock so um yeah it's it's probably one of those things where you need to kind of do eat something very very quickly and then get straight back on to teachers talk radio website where you can hear all of our live shows and also through twitter as well and obviously if you've missed any part of this show and you want to listen back uh, it is available through the Podbean account at uh, just search teachers talk radio And if you want to listen back to this one, my name is Ben Thomas. You've been a fantastic audience. Thank you so much to everybody for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week and uh, we will see you soon. You've been listening to Teachers Talk
0: Radio. Tune in live and listen back at TTradio. Hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.